listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another podcast episode. Chris Lopez here. And today, we're going to be doing a deal analysis. And this one definitely is a little bit more unique than a lot of deals we talk about. So this is actually a client of ours who is an out-of-country uh, out investor. He owns a few rental properties here in Denver, sold one, and was doing a 1031 exchange to trade it from a single family to a multifamily. He reached out to us with a few weeks left on his 1031 timeline to help him find a deal. So we're going to walk through the deal itself, which is being a duplex on the west side of town, but also talk about all the interesting nuances of doing 1031 while you're out of country during the COVID pandemic. And so my co-host today is Scott Kimball. Scott, how's it going? Good, Chris. How you doing? Doing great. So I, I think this is your first podcast, right? For on the on the Denver Real Estate Investing, right, Scott? It is, yeah. All right. Yeah. So for those who don't know Scott, I, I've mentioned him on a few podcasts. Um, I've known Scott for a few years now, just through YearCast. We've both been uh, you know, agents, investors, and as we expanded and grew in the Envision Advisors, he was just obviously a perfect fit what we do. We just share similarities in how we invest, we approach clients. So just you know, a, a great team member, and he's the one that actually put this deal together and was able to juggle everything. So Scott, kind of, I gave the quick overview. Any other like high level details we should talk about in terms of like setting this this setting this whole deal up with like the backstory. Yeah. Um, so uh, we were contacted, I know, um, uh, with our client. He lives overseas uh, because of COVID. He wasn't able to travel back. So um, he was coming down to the end of his 1031 identification period. So he was really under the gun to find a property. And what's the identification period? How many days is that from the when he sold the property? So um, from the time you sell, you have um, 60 days to identify the uh, uh, your replacement property. So he relinquished his property. It's forty five, right? I'm sorry, forty five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so forty five days to identify that your relinquished property, and then um, then you have six months then uh, to close it. So and so it really just kind of an interesting you know uh, chain of events here because this is actually a gentleman I met. He uh, the property he sold is one actually Charles Roberts, who mm -hmm. is both, you know, mentors and friends of Scott and mine, helped him buy, I think, five or six years ago, yep. you know, a three-bedroom, two-bathroom condo in Aurora. And he sold it, I think, back in, in Ju uh, probably July. Yeah, I think right around like early July, late July. Yeah, early July, I believe, was the time mm -hmm. frame around July 4th. And just coincidentally enough, like, we sell a property on the market. It's a good rental. And so actually, um, one of our clients actually was on the buy side of there and halfway through transaction, realized that he was a seller and we had met for coffee a couple of years before. It was, hey, great, you know, great to do a deal with you. Yeah. And then a couple of weeks later, um, he was unable to get his 1031 going as planned. Um, and then he reached back out to us to help him. And that's where we started working with them. And they're like, oh man, we got, I think about two weeks. Because uh, I think it was right around like, like mid to late August was the end of his ID window, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. So yeah, so I mean, you guys, this is middle late August, so during the pandemic, um, you know, not the worst of it, but also during a pandemic. So that kind of sets you up there. So it's a very, you know, very interesting how small the world is. And so, Scott, when he came to you and started talking to us, what was he looking to do in terms of just like, why was he trading up and what was he looking to get to in his replacement property? 
So he was looking for, um, a, he had sold um, a smaller uh, condo townhome unit, wanted to scale up to a bigger multifamily. So he was looking for a property in uh, uh, kind of that six cap, 6% cap rate or higher um, in the metro area, in a good area. Um, and then something that cash flowed, but had some unique situations because he was a um, overseas investor. So talk about that because that definitely changes for some, you know, some some uh, tax potential yep. and, or you know, tax liability potential, and also some lending issues. So kind of what what are those considerations for out of country investors? Yeah. So one of his. Um, um, uh, one of his obstacles that he had was in lending because uh, it is harder for overseas investors to get financing. Um, he did have a lender set up, um, but uh, to give him more options, we introduced him to another lender that I've used in the past, and that lender was able to give him some better terms on his lending, and then uh, they were able to help us close the deal. So Great. And we'll talk more about financing uh, You know, when we get to later yep. in the deal now. So that, that's one of the big hurdles, especially for out-of-country investors, is, is financing is, is very difficult. So let's talk about the property because, I mean, you know, finding a 6% cap rate property in Denver this year is, you know, that's, they're getting harder and harder to find, mm -hmm. you know, or actually using, you know, real underwriting. Yep. Um, so what did you guys end up finding? Because you, you went under contract. Give us the lay of land for property, location. Just kind of talk us through the property that you guys found. Yeah. So we had the search. Um, uh, so he had property managers already in place from his previous renter, rentals. So they, he wanted to be in the six-county Denver area. So we set up like, you know, you find a lot of your searches um, uh, for our clients and stuff. It's just on the MLS. So um, that's where we found this. We set it up. Um, we were looking for something that had uh, three bedrooms or more, um, and he wanted to keep it under 600000 So, so I even, you know, even finding, you know, duplexes, are, uh, this was a three-bedroom, two-bath, like, you know, those are even more rare because a lot of duplexes are two ones or two one point five. So, like yep. a, a three two duplex is 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 great. And so, is this a side by side duplex? It is a side by side okay. duplex. Yeah, and it had a great uh, finished basement. So, um, so the square footage on this. So there was so uh, each side had a finished basement. Each side had a finished basement, and um, was there the, a garage? The three bedrooms are on the main level, and there was a garage in the back for one unit. Okay, so yeah. And so this was listed right around 590, and this was up in, like you said, right around like the, the Wheat Ridge-Denver border? Correct. Yeah, kind of Denver-Westminster. It was also, yeah, just by Hidden Lake up there. Okay, so, by Hidden yep. Lake. So 72nd near Sheridan and Federal area for, exactly, for those yeah. who didn't know the street. So it was listed around 590. You guys end up getting right around 570. Yeah. So what's the story there? Because that's, that's a pretty good price difference between the the list price and what we got it for. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it had been on the market for a while. Um, and so um, we came in at a lower price. The I called the listing agent. Um, always do that to get the backstory of, um, and he actually was the owner. And mm. so he wanted to sell it. But um, at the same time, he had two good renters. He just one unit was empty and he just filled it with a new renter. And so now there was another lease in place. Um, I think he was getting frustrated with COVID and he wasn't getting, it was just coordinating it with the tenants and he was getting ready to take it off the market too. So I got all that story just from visiting with him. And, uh, and let me interject ahead. here because yeah. this is something that we always talk about. Something yeah. we always do is like, Hey, because I mean, we, 
you know, comparing like industry stats, we we get more properties in our contract than averages for realtors around town. And that's a big reason is we always pick up the phone mm-hmm. and we talk to their agent to get the complete picture. Yep. There's a big difference. Scott, you've been on both sides of the transaction oh, numerous yeah. times. They're like, hey, an offer with no relationship mm-hmm. versus, hey, you've had a phone call or two and an email or two and then the offer comes in. Like the relationship matters. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I'm on the on the flip side and I'm listing a property, I've had blind offers where nobody shows it and an offer comes into my email box. I don't know who this agent is. I don't know who the buyer is. I don't know if he's qualified. So taking those extra steps just to, uh, number one, let them know and establish that relationship, but also just to let them know that you got a solid buyer because all the buyers we bring are Mm pre-approved and they're good to go. And um, I think that just comes with our reputation too as agents. So. All right. So let's talk about the offer process. Um, so we got under ask, asking price, went under contract. So you got under contract, what, like about 10 days before that 45-day ID window or so, if I recall correctly, like a week and a half or so? Correct. Yeah, about 10 days. Okay. Yep. So, you know, ideally in, in the perfect world, what we do is, you know, we can go under contract on a property well before we're near that 45-ID uh, deadline and then get through the inspection because that's where most deals blow up at. And if it doesn't make sense, we have time to terminate and go out there and you know find another property and repeat so we can meet that 45-day uh, deadline. In this case, we were running tight deadlines here. So what was the strategy there with the deadlines as best you could with the, the situation? Yeah. Um, well, at this point, we were late in the game, so there, yeah. <laughs> there were no other options. So, um, you know, we had to make sure that this was viable right from the get-go. Um, obviously, you don't know what else is out there until you do the inspection. Um, but at the same time, uh, at this point, um, there was it was either this or, um, you know, if he wasn't able to 1031 the property, then he would have had that tax liability. So... So you got under contract, and I, I know you guys did the inspection as soon as possible. Correct, yeah. Um, so what did the inspection report come back, and what was the resolution like? Yeah, so it came back with some, uh, there was a deck off the backside that uh, definitely was neglected. The inside, uh, the bones were uh, good. There were some structural issues um, that the uh, seller disclosed. Um, so we were able to bring in the structural engineer and recertify um, that there were no issues that, uh, that what they saw. Uh, so, um, yeah, dive into this because yeah. this is, uh, you know, the foundation's always, you know, potentially yeah. big red flags. So talk about that and what, uh, the, um, the engineer did and gave you guys. Yeah. Yeah. So this, it actually wasn't the foundation that was the issue. It was the structural was more on the, the roof. So this was a modular building, um, that had been built, um, a prefab building that's typically built off-site. They bring it in, they piece it together. So there were some concerns about where the, or how the uh, um, the two units were stitched together. And that's where the structural engineer came in, um, basically gave his stamp and said that um, uh, it was not a concern. So. Okay, because for modular homes, I mean, these are literally built in factories or hangars somewhere, shipped yep. on a few 18-wheelers and then brought on-site, Put on the foundation and yep. just, I guess, bolted together piece one to piece two to piece three, and that's basically how they're built. Exactly. Yeah, wow. they'll they'll bring in a crane, set them on the foundation. All of the internal wiring, for the most part, is already stitched in. Sometimes they have the appliances and the carpet, and everything's already put together. So um, then they have to put it together. So 
Um, but the uh, the buyer worked with the structural engineer, and um, so yeah, once they got that buy off, then the buyer was more um, comfortable moving forward. All right. So able to get past that, and I think you uh, negotiated some repairs and also got about $5,500 in concessions, uh, right? Correct. Yeah, yep. there was, that was the deck. There was also some, uh, um, some minor issues in the, um, in the basement and then also a uh, radon issue. So, And so let's talk about financing here because we're going to plug these numbers in a spreadsheet, but since he's a foreign national, okay. um, you know, they have, it's a, Totally different lending world than what you and I and most of our listeners get. They generally can't do a 30-year conventional mortgage. Yep. We've never had success in the past. A lot of times they're, you know, they have to work with a, a local bank, you know, a first bank, a Westera, the local banks here. And a lot of times the, when I've had investors reach out, they're looking anywhere from like a 35 to 50% down payment uh, for them to lend on a, on a foreign national. So to kind of walk us through the process you guys did and, and the financing that you were able to help piece together there. Yeah. So, I mean, like you mentioned, you know, traditionally, if you have um, uh, local investors that are that are U.S. citizens, you know, um, we get the access to Freddie Mae and Freddie and Fannie kind of loans. And so um, we can go as low as 15 percent in some instances. Typical investors will do 20 to 25 percent. But in this case, um, the investor had to go, I believe, 35 or 40 percent or more. Uh, up front. But because they were rolling a lot of that money forward from their 1031 proceeds, um, they were able to cover that. Great. So we'll talk about the terms on the next one because uh, now we're looking at the spreadsheet and we'll give you the high level numbers. If you want to see this, click on the show notes. It's in, mm -hmm. it's in the blog post or of course, you know, email Scott or email me. We can send you the spreadsheet and talk numbers. But uh, end up putting 43% down which came to be about $242,000 on a 15-year note at three and three-eighths. So a larger down payment, but, you know, he's, I mean, those terms, that interest rate is actually a lot lower than I expected for yep. foreign national. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm guessing because the higher down payment and the shorter, the shorter note exactly. gave him some favorable rates. What did like the lenders say about this? Do you remember what options they were presented or, and kind of yeah, because so he got down about, I think it was another quarter to a half point because he went to that 15-year note. Oh, so, okay. So about a quarter to a half point it dropped yeah, that much? Yeah, I think it was like three three seven five, um, <clears throat> if I remember right. So yeah, so he wanted to pay down and get that uh, that shorter term. So that, that, and, and that matched up for his longer term financial goals, right? Exactly. Yeah. All right. So all in for uh, all in for total initial investments, about $250,000, you know, 43% down payment, about $10,000 in acquisition cost. Um, what about initial repairs? Did he have to do the initial repairs or was that taken care of through the, uh, concessions. Through the concessions? Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. So but then there were renters in place too. So um, one of the good things is that just before he uh, purchased, about uh, two weeks before we closed, the previous owner had just brought in new tenants and got him in there for a 12-month lease. So... Um, you know, with COVID and stuff, he didn't want to have the potential to have any of these units empty. So, yep. So that was good. And so, rental income two thousand for one unit, eighteen hundred for both. You know, the other unit, and yes. those were the current renters, right? Uh, correct. Okay. I yep. mean, for three to that part of town, like, I mean, eighteen hundred. You could probably imagine when he goes to renew it, he should be able to bump it up a couple hundred bucks, most likely. I would, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So, so this time bit, next yeah, year. Yeah. I mean, that's a nice little, you know, be another couple thousand a year. Yeah. Yep. 
So that's an, that's an easy play, you know, a year from now. So we plug in our normal assumptions. Uh, yes, for property management, we put 8% in here. We put 5% for repairs to maintenance. So this is something we were talking about before we hit record on here, Scott. You know, a lot of times I like to put things at 8%. Yep. Uh, and you said this is good at 5% because it was just an overall, like, relatively good interior shape, right? And plus you had some of the bigger items addressed during the inspection period. Exactly. Yeah, we didn't see anything else there. This was built in 2006. So this wasn't, like, you know, one of those 40-year-old. So that's not our typical multi, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that it definitely was more updated than some we had seen. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, that means a lot less, you know, what, 30, 40 <laughs> years less on the plumbing system and sewer system and electrical. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Um, so about $4,300 a year in taxes, $1,300 a year in property insurance. So that's relatively, like, inexpensive. Yep. So that's really good. And they really know their expenses. I mean, obviously, like, tenants are paying their Excel bills. Um Probably a little bit more, you know, water, sewer, and trash, but that'll be offset with some utility bill back on top of the rent, so it should be a wash. Correct. All right, so getting to the analysis here. Um, so now we're at the, the next tab in the spreadsheet here. Annual cash flow before taxes. So this is, you know, rents minus expenses minus mortgage debt, about $4,800 a year. I mean, on a 15-year note for an out-of-state, I'm sorry, an out-of-country investor, and 1031, I am very happy with those numbers is my reaction. What was your reaction and his reaction? Yeah, no, this is, you know, is a little under what he was looking, you know. Uh, his goal was that 6%, but because uh, we only had a couple days to shop, you know, we were probably, within five days, we were having to get something under contract. Otherwise, he would have uh, missed that identification period. So, um, so talk about this because he wanted a six cap rate. This is a 5.7 cap rate. This is three tenths of a point. And this is something that we talk about, but like, what was the, what did you guys talk about? Obviously like it's below his metric, Yep. but what did you guys, what was the decision-making process through there? Um, well, in the big picture, um, at this point we were out of time, so we could have kept looking. Um, but the, it was the risk reward, you know? So yeah, he gave up three tenths of a percent, um, so that was the, the the risk, but the the reward was he didn't have to pay uh, his capital gains taxes, or he's kicking that capital gains tax down the road with his 1031. If you look at this slide, too, the big thing there is next to the cap rate is that $32,000 per year is what he's paying on the loan. And at 3%, about, well, I'd say 40% of that's going to principal. So a big chunk of his money, it's not cash in his pocket, but it is equity he's building by paying down that loan. So um, that's a big piece. And, well, you see it there in the red, the debt pay down, 17000 right there. Yeah, and so we're looking so, at the return on investment quadrant here. And, so we're either, so cash flows are saying about $4,800 a year, yep. appreciated about 17000 a year, and we assumed a, a 3% appreciation rate, which is very reasonable in the Denver market. Yep. That debt paid him a $17,000 year. <laughs> and that's two things. He's doing a 15-year note yep. and has a relatively low interest rate. So you, you pay yep. off your principal a lot faster that way. Yeah. And this investor, he's a younger investor. So, you know, he doesn't need cash in the pocket today. He's want to, you know, this is equity he's building for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road when he retires. So, And let's talk about that because, you know, about, about 5000 in cash for the day. And we always like to look at the the NOI for, hey, yeah. if you have it paid off, that's really going to be like your your future income of no mortgage after the expenses. And usually this is, you know, we ballpark it should adjust with inflation appropriately. 
So when it's paid off, it'll be around thirty-two dollars to $33,000 in NOI, actually higher than that once he bumps up the rents on the other units, so more like thirty-four, dollars $35,000 a year. I mean, when that's paid off, like, you know, that's, are you going to retire off that alone? No, but that's a really good, uh, you know, pillar in your retirement, uh, your cash flow retirement income as well. Like, that's nothing to sneeze at. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, he'll have that thirty-five to 40000 a year uh, yeah. passive income in 15 years, so... So overall, like very unique property, <laughs> not always what we like to do 1031s. We're, we're pretty methodical, as you guys know. So we always like to start the 1031 process before the current property is even listed, yep. uh, just because that, that makes things less stressful, allows us to slow things down, which is always a key component to 1031. So very happy that you guys were able to put this together, Scott. I mean, this is a relatively good deal. Clients happy, avoided probably tens of thousands of dollars in tax liability. Absolutely, yeah. But if you guys are thinking about 1031, you know, both Scott and I have, you know, sold and traded up. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a strategy works very well in the Denver market right now. Um, if you're thinking about it, please make sure you talk to one of us before you you list the property. That way we can start getting all the dominoes lined up and we can, uh, you know, just slow things down because it's really planning on this stuff makes life easier and everyone's stress level a few notches down on the uh, the stress meter. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I did, uh, over this last year, I've done, been involved in four, uh, 1031s, one reverse 1031. So yeah, you, you definitely want to be working with people who are, um, in the business and it is a 45 day identification. <laughs> so yeah, no, this is, this was a fun deal, fun client. And, uh, it was, uh, we were excited to help them. All right. So, Scott, thanks for taking time out of your day to come join us. And uh, listeners out there, if you've got any questions on here, email me or email Scott. You can just scott at envisionrea.com. He'll also, his information's in the show notes as well. But again, if you guys have questions on this deal or just trying to plan out your whole like 1031 exchange process, reach out to us. This is like the things that we really enjoy on as a huge wealth multiplier. So, reach out. We'll help you all figure out all the details. Great. Thanks a lot, Scott. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. 